Literary Fantasy Readers, this is Corinne Norton, your fellow book binger, and you are listening to the Finding Fantasy Reads podcast, where you can test out a new fantasy story every single week to find your next favorite author. Today's episode is going to be a little bit different as we ring in the holiday season. I've worked hard over the last several months to make sure every story included on the podcast is one you can listen to in 30 to 60 minutes. I've had several of you tell me that's a feature you really like, so I've been hesitant to deviate from that format. But when I was thinking about how to handle the holiday season, I got really excited to share a Christmas-flavored fantasy story with all of you. In fact, I was sitting outside my daughter's ballet studio for her very first Nutcracker rehearsal. She's an adorable baby mouse, if you wanted to know. When I remembered a story I'd been eager to read called Nutcracker of Crystal Fall by K.L. Moody. I started and finished reading it that same day and immediately sent off an email to Kay. Kay had been on my list for a while, but she has so many good stories I couldn't decide which one to ask her about. I was so grateful when she agreed to let me share her perfectly Christmassy story with all of you. Because of its length, it will be shared in five parts over the next five weeks, both leading up to Christmas and the day after. It's a fantastic nutcracker retelling with trolls instead of mice and a fey kingdom instead of the kingdom of sweets. I recognize that not everyone celebrates Christmas, so if you fall into that camp, I hope you can still appreciate the fantasy elements of the story because it can also stand on its own as a wintry fantasy fairy tale. Stick around to the end or check out today's show notes to see where you can find more from Kay as well as how to enter our holiday giveaway. For now, Please enjoy part one of Nutcracker of Crystal Fall by K.L. Moody. Chapter one. Today was the last day of Clara's life. Though she'd technically still be alive tomorrow, everything she'd ever loved would be ripped away from her. The few bright spots in her gloomy 17 and a half years of life would be snuffed out and replaced with even darker, gloomier things. She had one last day to enjoy herself, one last day before everything changed. But how could she enjoy herself with such a future looming ahead? Her fingers twitched over the teacup in her hands. Doing her best to forget the event that would take place the next day, she used a dark cloth to polish the outer surface of the porcelain. After conspiring with her estate's baker, She had managed to paint and bake a protective glaze over the cup and saucer that would protect the designs she had spent months creating. The polishing cloth now helped to make its surface shine. Delicate purple flowers and green leaves stood out against the bright white background of the small cup. She'd even strategically painted lines of gold around the teacup's edge and handle to give it a luxurious feel. Clara's lady's maid, Heidi, would feel like a noble herself whenever she used the cup and saucer. That thought brought a little smile to Clara's lips. Maybe her lady's maid wasn't allowed to stay with Clara after tomorrow, but at least she'd be able to give Heidi a gift she'd never forget. With the polishing finished, Clara's thumb traced a bundle of the purple flowers she had painted. This particular bundle held a secret only Heidi would recognize. The flowers along the outer edge of the bundle were slightly darker, which created the shape of a ring. Others wouldn't notice the ring shape easily, but even if they did, they wouldn't understand the significance. Only Heidi would know that the ring shape was meant to commemorate a brass ring Heidi had received from her mother as a child, and sadly had lost recently. 
but the painted flower ring on the teacup in Clara's lap was the exact same size and shape as that lost ring. Of course, it would never be the same as the real ring, but at least it gave Heidi a way to remember the special item. Boisterous laughter rang out near Clara as a young couple floated past her with nearly empty glasses of wine in their hands. They wore silk party clothes, and the woman had her white blonde hair expertly braided into a bun with soft curls, bright red flowers, and small fruits decorating it further. Judging by the direction the couple walked, they were on their way to refill their glasses. Nearly all the guests had arrived. If some of them were already on their way to get a second glass of wine, she needed to hurry and place her gift for Heidi under the Christmas tree. Using the brown paper she had nicked from the kitchen, Clara carefully wrapped the teacup and saucer and positioned them inside a small brown box. Spools of silk ribbon covered the table at her side. She chose a pretty blue ribbon with embroidered purple swirls. After unspooling it a bit, she eyeballed the length and then cut it. Her lips pursed as she examined it. The length would be perfect for Heidi to use as a hair ribbon. No one else would ever think to use a gift wrap ribbon in their hair. No one else would ever imagine the length would be perfect for such a thing. But Heidi always appreciated Clara's talent for perfectly estimating the size and shape of things. Her lady's maid would know without even asking that Clara had cut it that length on purpose. With the gift finally wrapped, Clara held it gently in both hands and started across the room. The dark walnut hardwood floor creaked under her feet, but with the violins and cello playing nearby, she could barely hear it. Her gaze drifted to the Christmas tree in the center of the room, its evergreen branches stretched so high the tip nearly reached the chandelier hanging from the ceiling. A massive circular blanket sat at the base of the tree, catching the wax from the candles above. White candles adorned the needled branches, their little lights flickering with the same delight that filled the rest of the room. The wrapped presents sitting under the tree already piled high. Dozens of guests crowded the normally empty spaces of the large room. They ate and drank, danced and laughed. An almost smile played at her lips at the sight of them. The guests were always her favorite part of her parents' annual Christmas party. With so many people watching, her parents had always been forced to get her fine and fancy gifts. Otherwise, their neighbors might guess how cruel her parents really were. It did not fill her with joy to know she now needed assistance from one of them. Her pink silk skirt swished as she ambled through the room. It only took a moment to spot her mother. The woman's soft brown and gray hair had been braided with ribbon that matched her yellow and red dress. Her voice reverberated through at least one-third of the room as she laughed and gossiped with her favorite women in their town. Judging by the splashes of wine on her hand, she was already past her second glass and well into her third. Better to avoid mother, then. After that much wine, she was more likely to expose Clara's secret by accident a secret no one except her father, mother, Heidi, and a few tutors knew. Clara's shoulders tensed as she changed direction, heading toward the plushy chairs in front of the large fireplace at one edge of the room. At least her father sat alone as he leaned over the short wooden table in front of him, probably finishing a few last pieces of the paperwork that would spell out Clara's doom. She started toward him, grateful to have found him alone. Coming to his side, she knelt on the rug at his feet and held the gift and a small tag out to him. After glancing over one shoulder, she leaned in close to whisper, 
could you address this for me? He had completely ignored her until that moment. As soon as the words left her lips, his gaze shot upward to scan the area around them. He found them in complete privacy, just as she had observed a moment ago. That didn't stop him from snatching the tag from her hand with a glare. What shall I write? His gruff voice sounded even more gravelly than usual. His recent cough probably attributed to it, but the sound still made her limbs shake. She gulped. From Clara. He rolled his eyes, clearly expecting her to say who the gift was for before she said who it was from. But she knew better than to give that away yet. Despite his eye-rolling, he did write the words in his sweeping, beautifully curved handwriting. More than anyone, he didn't want her secret getting out. So he'd help begrudgingly as long as it didn't look suspicious. What else? Even in a whisper, he managed to make the words feel like an ugly shout. Two, she continued, purposefully waiting until he started writing before she said more. When his pen stopped, she took a deep breath. Heidi. The snarl she expected bloomed across his face, even fiercer than she had imagined. He bared his teeth as he leaned closer to her. You have only one gift to give, and it's for a servant? Clara leaned back as she lifted her palms in a posture of surrender. Heidi already helped me address my other gifts. We did it days ago. He continued to snarl with his nose now twitching as he scrawled the name onto the tag. It looked far less beautiful than his previous handwriting. At least he had written it. Just as she reached to pluck the tag from the table, an icy gust of wind shot across the room. Father had to grip the tag a little tighter to be certain it didn't blow away. Both of them glanced toward the heavy wooden doors that had just been opened to the world outside. Five people entered the room, all dressed in fine silks and fur coats. Lord Metternich and his wife's eyes twinkled when they caught sight of the decorated Christmas tree. Their oldest son, Hans, and his wife smiled at the room as they shrugged their coats off. And then there was Fritz. Clara shuddered at the sight of him. The young man was a few years older than her. He wore what seemed to be a permanent scowl that even darkened his blue eyes. His golden-colored hair shifted lazily over his head as he scanned the room. When a servant helped remove his coat, he immediately adopted a threatening stance and glare, causing the servant to cower. Whatever words he had just spoken could not have been pleasant. Upon seeing Fritz, Clara's stomach curled into a tight knot. Her throat ached when she tried to swallow. She knew it was useless, but she turned to her father anyway. Maybe one last appeal would work. Maybe she could change his mind if he heard the ache in her voice. Papa, please don't make me marry him. Her father's eyes flashed as he glanced around to make sure no one had overheard. Once satisfied that they were still speaking in private, he looked down his nose at her. Why ever not? After kneeling at the side of his chair for so long, her knees had started to cramp. She swallowed hard. He's horrid. Her father's eyebrows pinched together until a crease formed between them. A horrid man for a horrid girl. Now he raised one of his eyebrows. It seems you two are a perfect match. The words alone were enough to tighten the ache in her throat even more. But then he crushed the tag in his hand. With a flick of his wrist, he tossed the crumpled paper into the roaring fire at his side. 
Get that gift out of here. I won't have a servant's present under the tree with all the other gifts. He dipped his head toward the ribboned box on the table, but at the last moment, he also swept his hand across the table to knock the box off it. Sucking in a gasp, Clara barely caught the small gift before it fell. With the table so low to the ground, the teacup and saucer probably wouldn't have broken, but she didn't want to take that chance. She had spent months painting the porcelain, and it was meant for the only true friend she had. Pulling the box tight against her stomach, Clara stood to her feet and nodded a quick goodbye to her father. It seemed she would have to get her mother to address the tag after all. Just as her silk skirts started swishing, her gaze snagged on Fritz. He shoved a servant out of his way so he could reach the platters of food on a table faster. A chill slithered down her spine. Maybe she needed mother, but she wasn't about to go near her now, not with Fritz nearby. She'd do anything to avoid her betrothed for as long as she possibly could. Knowing him, he'd probably find a way to terrorize her sooner rather than later. She'd just try to keep to the edges of the room until then. Chapter 2 Since the main food tables were off-limits for Clara right now, she headed over to a narrow table covered with bowls of hazelnuts, macadamias, and chestnuts. Reaching for the nearest nutcracker, she placed a macadamia nut inside its mouth and lowered the lever. Instead of hearing a nice crack, the shell stayed completely intact. Her mouth screwed into a knot as she set the nutcracker aside and reached for another one. The second one didn't crack her nut as much as smash it, so she had to pick out pieces of shell from the squashed nut before she could enjoy it. While carefully plucking out broken pieces, she vaguely noticed someone join her at the table. Without even choosing a nutcracker, a sharp crack soon sounded. Her fingers still held her smashed nut from which she had nearly removed all the shell pieces, but her gaze trailed over to the nearby hands now reaching for a second nut. The man plucked a hazelnut from a bowl and held it tightly between his finger and thumb. Another moment later, the nutshell split apart as easily as if it had been an eggshell. She almost didn't believe it, except he picked up a macadamia nut and cracked open the shell with his bare hands exactly like he had a moment ago. Clara's eyes opened wide. How did you do that? The words came out in a rush as she glanced up to see who had done such an incredible thing. But as soon as her gaze met the young man's face, her head immediately dropped. She lowered her chin to her chest and took a small step back. What is it? The man asked after seeing her reaction. He patted his overcoat. Do I look strange to you? Involuntarily, her gaze lifted to his once again. Now that he mentioned it, he did look strange. No, strange wasn't the right word. He looked wondrous. Magical. She had never seen anyone with such exquisite features. Especially not someone only a few years older than her. Sharp cheekbones perfectly accented his stormy gray eyes. He had fair skin and a crop of brown hair that looked shinier than her pink silk dress. His broad shoulders and strong arms gave the impression that he could probably lift her off the ground as easily as he had cracked those nuts. Easier, maybe. Why did you look away from me like that? He patted his blue scarf and blue overcoat that almost looked like a soldier's uniform. Except no soldiers in her town ever wore blue, especially not light blue brocade with swirling silver designs. 
She didn't know of any nearby countries whose soldiers had such uniforms. She raised a hand to wave away his worry. It's not the way you look, it's just... She swallowed and lowered her chin again. We haven't been formally introduced. Out of the corner of her eye, she could just make out his lowered eyebrows. He didn't look confused, he looked aghast. After a small shake of his head, he cleared the expression away to reveal one of politeness. Formally introduced, right. I am Revan. It might have offended her that he didn't extend a hand toward her to shake in greeting, except she was too surprised by his name to even notice. Revan? I have never heard such an unusual name. Is that your house name or your personal name? He mouthed the words house name and then shook his head. That same polite expression returned. Revan is my personal name. I believe as part of the formalities you should state your name as well, correct? Nothing about this conversation followed the typical way people were formally introduced. That usually happened with a mutual acquaintance making the introductions. But this young man had probably just had one too many glasses of wine. What did it really matter anyway? This was a Christmas party. Her life was about to change and not for the better. So what did she care about being safe? She held out one hand toward him. I'm Clara, from the house of Reginar. She gestured vaguely at the room. This house. My father is Lord Reginar, which leads me to ask, how do you know my father? Know him? The young man's head tilted to the side as he narrowed one eye. He gave off the distinct impression that he was trying to figure out not the answer to her question, but why she had even asked it. He also glanced down three different times at her hand, which was still extended toward him, but didn't seem to know what she expected him to do with it. Once she lowered her hand back to her side, he finally seemed able to speak again. He ran a hand through his dark hair and flashed a roguish smile. What was it you asked me earlier? You wanted to know how I did something, I believe. The words disarmed her completely. Her cheeks suddenly tingled with heat as an involuntary smile crept through her lips. She placed a hand on her collarbone and had the sudden urge to fan herself. Ah, uh, it was... She bit her bottom lip. Oh, I wanted to know how you cracked those nuts with your bare hands. His eyebrows twisted in confusion as he plucked a nut from the nearest bowl. Without showing the slightest strain in his face, he pinched the nut until the nutshell perfectly cracked in half. Like that? Her eyes widened at the sight while the heat in her cheeks burned even hotter. If she dared to speak, her words would surely come out breathless. Revan gestured toward a bowl. How do you crack them? Grateful for a chance to break her gaze away from him, she grabbed a hazelnut and stuffed it into a nutcracker's mouth. After lowering the lever as quickly as possible, it still only caused a small fracture across the shell's surface. She wrinkled her nose at the pathetic outcome. Shrugging, Revan reached over and cracked the nut for her. Then he took a few more from the bowls, cracked them, and set them in front of her too. Thank you she said as she stuffed a macadamia into her mouth. He blinked in astonishment. After glancing around the room, he turned back to her with a dark expression. You should not say those words to me. Before she could react to the strange response, his blue-knit scarf was caught in a gust of wind from the front door and flew off his neck. He darted after it and soon got lost in the crowd. Warmth still prickled in her cheeks as she tossed a hazelnut into her mouth. 
She'd probably never see him again, but she still marveled at the meeting. How strangely remarkable to meet a nutcracker man. Her mind was so thoroughly engrossed in the memory of Revan that she hardly noticed she had eaten the nuts he'd cracked for her. And she definitely wasn't thinking straight when she meandered over to the food tables to gather a plate for herself. With her gift to Heidi under one arm, Clara piled carrots drizzled with a honey and balsamic glaze onto her plate. Then she added a slice of wild duck with orange sauce and finished by grabbing a plump sausage. She managed to gobble down half the sausage before running into trouble. But soon, she was reminded why she'd been avoiding the food tables. Her nonchalant walk ended with a start when she found Fritz in a corner of the room watching a few young ladies dance. Although he wasn't even watching them. He was leering at them a little too gratuitously for someone who was currently engaged to another woman. She tried to back away without him noticing, but he glanced up as soon as she attempted it, sneering at her. Since she couldn't avoid him, she sneered right back. You probably shouldn't stare so salaciously at other young women when you and I are getting married tomorrow. His hand shot forward. For a moment, she thought he might be reaching for her body but he grabbed the gift box she was holding instead. Thinking of the wedding, huh? This must be for me, then. He ignored her protests as he tore off the bow, lifted the lid, and carelessly threw off the brown paper protecting the porcelain. He laughed when he saw the items. Did you paint this? How quaint. Give that back, she said through her teeth, which he completely ignored. I suppose no one told you, but I do not care for purple flowers. Holding her gaze steadily, he gripped two opposite sides of the teacup and yanked. Before she could reach out, he'd broken the teacup in half. She gasped. I suppose now there's no use for this either. He threw the saucer onto the hardwood floor, where it promptly split into three different pieces. Tears pricked her eyes as her hand flew to cover her open mouth. How could you? A vicious grin lifted his mouth. You must have really cared about those pieces if they were enough to make you cry. She had spent months of painstaking work designing and painting the cup and saucer. Maybe she didn't have the skill of the most famous artists, but her flowers were certainly beautiful. And now, all of her hard work had been destroyed. Her one last gift to the only person who had ever treated her with dignity was broken and lay in pieces on the ground. Fritz laughed and ground the fragments into the floor with the heel of his boot until they shattered even more. He then dropped the cut pieces on top. Uneven tears slipped down her cheeks. She tried to control her breathing, which had turned unnaturally quick. Suddenly, Fritz leaned closer and whispered, Everyone says there's something wrong with you, something your parents keep secret. A breath shuddered through her, and she immediately tried to gulp it down. It wasn't as if she had an extra limb or accidentally killed people in her sleep. It was that she couldn't read or write, no matter how many tutors had tried to teach her throughout the years. It wasn't her fault letters jumped around and rotated whenever she tried to look at them. When she concentrated very, very hard, she could read a little, but never out loud. And even then, it took so long to decipher each letter that comprehension became nearly impossible. One of her tutors had the same condition, but even that tutor had given up. Apparently, Clara's condition was much worse, and so she was written off as a lost cause. She could enjoy the beauty of handwriting, and she had no trouble reproducing actual objects like flowers. 
but letters and numbers liked to dance so much she couldn't dream of reading and writing the way others did. Still, it wasn't like she was a demon or a criminal. Even now, she didn't understand why her parents were so mortified by her condition that they had kept it secret all these years. A wild flash lit up Fritz's eyes. Whatever your secret is, I don't care. I want to make it clear. I have no desire for you at all. I can easily find companions, he glanced pointedly at the nearest young ladies, to satisfy my needs. From you, I only need one thing, and that is your money. One last tear trailed down her cheek as she lifted her chin in the air. Maybe her hands still trembled from the emotion inside her, but she could control it well enough to speak. I should have known a second-born child like you would feel that way. You've spent your whole life trying to measure up to your brother Hans. Maybe you've learned ambition, but you know nothing of honor or decency. Decency, he laughed and used his boot to smash her teacup even more. Once we're married, your father will make me rich. Then I'll finally emerge from my brother's shadows. I'll be the richer brother, the better brother, just like I've always deserved. With one last crush of his heel, he stomped off into the crowd. The moment he neared the young ladies he'd been admiring, they immediately backed away, as if he carried with him a stench they couldn't bear. He ground his teeth at their reaction, curling one hand into a fist at the same time. His feet struck the ground harder with each step. When he noticed one of the young ladies happily talking to a different young man, Fritz stole the man's scarf straight from his neck. The scarf's blue-knit design made it easy to recognize. It was Revan's scarf. The Nutcracker Man whirled around to find his missing accessory. Fritz pulled it away just fast enough that Revan couldn't grab it. Then, with Revan watching, Fritz snatched a knife from a nearby table and slashed a cut straight through the center of the scarf. As charming as he had been while cracking nuts, Revan's face now looked murderous. And while Clara thought Fritz might have deserved injury for his actions, the strange young man probably wouldn't like the consequences such an action would bring. Determined to halt a confrontation between them, she marched forward. Hopefully, she could calm things down before someone lost an eye or an arm. Chapter 3 Pushing through a gathering crowd, Clara mentally prepared to throw herself between the two irate young men. By the time she reached them, her heart twisted with more hysteria than she could have imagined. The strange nutcracker man Revan glared right past her and over to Fritz. Revan's nose flared with each of his heavy breaths. Across from him, Fritz looked just as ready to tear Clara apart as he was to tear apart Revan. More people gathered near at every second, so she only had a few seconds before this turned into something truly terrifying. Taking a step toward her betrothed, she grabbed him by the arm and squeezed. Luckily, her voice came out low enough that no one else could hear, except possibly Revan. Calm yourself, Fritz. She raised an eyebrow. You wouldn't want to do something to make my father change his mind about tomorrow, would you? His face reddened as he ripped his hand away. She sent another pointed stare straight into his eyes, but then her words seemed to sink in. He bared his teeth and took a small step back. He glanced at Revan again, this time seeing his broad shoulders and carefully kept uniform. With a loud huff, Fritz turned on his heel and vaguely gestured toward the young man he'd just been glaring at. 
you aren't worth my time anyway. As he stomped off, Clara found both of Fritz's parents staring at him with arms folded across their chests. His mother shook her head, which went perfectly well with the deep frown Fritz's father directed toward his son. Fritz just scowled at them and continued stomping across the room. Though Fritz's brother Hans sat at a nearby table, he seemed completely oblivious to the whole ordeal. He sat in a cushy chair with his wife on his lap. They both snickered as he fed her grapes. Seeing him must have irritated Fritz further. He had very nearly punched a man, even stolen the attention of more than half the room, and yet his perfect brother, who could do no wrong, hadn't even noticed. After seeing Hans, Clara glanced back at Fritz's retreating form, his shoulders slumped even lower than before. She didn't bother looking to see if her own parents had noticed anything. They stopped paying attention to her years ago. Despite her threat to Fritz, nothing could stop their wedding now. Unless, perhaps, she somehow managed to run away. But even if she did get away, she had nowhere to go. Her gaze slid back over to the other young man involved. Every trace of anger had been wiped from Revan's face. Now he stared with genuine horror at the slashed blue scarf in his hands. Maybe it was just the flickering candlelight, but his fingers seemed to shake a little. Placing a hand behind one of his elbows, Clara led him to the darkened corner of the room where she'd wrapped Heidi's gift. It didn't take much prodding to get Revan to move. His entire focus stayed glued to the scarf in his hands. Sit down. She gestured toward a small red settee. Revan dropped onto the upholstered bench without argument. She could see clearly now it wasn't a trick of the light. His hands were definitely shaking, and it only grew worse the longer he stared at his scarf. Taking the blue knit accessory into her own hands, she stared at the slash carefully. If the fabric had been woven, that would have been one thing. But since her parents had been sending her away from their company to do quiet activities since she was four years old, she happened to know how to knit very well. She glanced at him once more before she began unraveling just a bit of the slashed fabric to make the mending easier. Your arms are very long. Revan jolted backward as he stared at her. My... He looked down at each of his arms before turning back to her. What? Holding a piece of yarn in place, she reached back and opened a drawer in the table behind her. Her embroidery needles were a bit too small to be ideal for this task, but they would still work. She grabbed one and shut the drawer. Most people have an arm span as long as they are tall, but your arms are much longer than you are tall. It's not unheard of, it's just a little unusual. Instead of cocking his head, or narrowing an eye, or showing any of the signs of the confusion she expected to see, he just gulped. He stared at her for an extra long moment, and then looked away a little too casually. You cannot possibly know how long my arms are compared to my height just by looking at me. She shrugged and finished prepping the cut pieces of yarn in the scarf. Most people can't, but I can. My lady's maid says my ability to estimate size and shape is a gift, but I disagree. I'm almost certain it's related to why I can't... Her words cut off as she realized what she had almost said. Heat trickled into the tops of her ears. Her secret. She'd almost given away her most heinous secret. And to a stranger, no less. Biting her lip, she leaned a little closer to the scarf and started tugging at the bottom end of it. I think my ability to inherently know the shape and size of things 
causes more trouble than it's worth. I often wish I was like everybody else. Revan didn't respond. In fact, he didn't seem to have heard much of what she had just said. His fingers stretched forward until he barely brushed them against his scarf. She glanced up at him with a smile. Don't worry, I happen to be very good at mending knit fabric. This scarf is so long, I'll just take a bit of yarn from the bottom and use it to repair the cut in the middle. He didn't look as hopeful as she began unraveling the yarn from the bottom. His knees started bouncing as a look of horror filled his eyes. He kept staring harder at the scarf, as if that might help to save it. Somehow, she suppressed the smile that kept trying to sneak across her lips. Once she had enough yarn from the bottom, she snipped it with the pair of scissors she had retrieved from the table behind her. It only took a few careful turns of the needle to tie off the end as perfectly as it had been before, even though it was now two rows shorter. She began weaving the piece of yarn in and out of the loops at the edges of the slash. Little by little, new stitches formed that looked as neat and tidy as the stitches already there. Revan leaned forward each time she created a new stitch. His knee bounced higher and higher, but at least his eyes had stopped growing so wide. Still, he watched her with palpable intensity. It was as if he were waiting for her to heal the injury of a beloved sibling, not stitch up a little cut in a plain blue scarf. Her gaze flitted to his for a brief moment before she focused on the fabric again. This scarf must be important to you. His hand lifted until he held a closed fist directly over his heart. Yes, it's... He swallowed hard when words failed him. The fist over his heart tightened. I need it. Nodding, she continued her work, this time being even more careful and attentive than before. A subtle change came over him once she reached the halfway point. Before, nearly every muscle in his body had been rigid and shaky. But now that the scarf looked more and more like it did earlier, wonder filled his eyes. He stared as intently as ever at the scarf, but every so often his gaze would drift to her fingers. Awe lit his features as he watched her work, as if she performed magic. The moment she finished and tied off the loose end, his hand came forward and brushed over the area she had repaired. He touched it with the reverence one might reserve for a newborn infant. His jaw dropped slightly as he tested the stretch in the repaired spot and found it identical to the rest of the scarf. She had never met anyone so fascinated by such a simple repair. As someone who was usually ignored, she couldn't help basking in his awe just a little. Having someone see her, appreciate her, it felt better than opening presents, better than eating the most glorious food. For a moment, she even dared admit to herself that it felt better than any day she had ever spent in her parents' house. His fingers fully gripped the scarf now. He tested its strength and softness. He touched it like it was the first time he had ever seen a scarf in his life. This is... His head shook while his jaw continued to move as if he couldn't find the words. Letting out an amazed sigh, he shook his head again. I can repair some things, weapons, dishes, chains, but I confess I know nothing of fabrics. I did not think something like this was possible. From across the room, a metal serving bowl clattered to the ground, breaking their quiet moment. They both turned to see Fritz with potatoes at his feet and bits of food at the bottom of his pant legs. He started shaking a finger at a servant, except the servant stood more than a table length away from him. Even though a serving bowl of potatoes had clearly been dropped at his feet, there was no way the servant could have anything to do with it. 
but apparently that didn't stop Fritz from blaming. Clara sighed and tucked a bit of her dark brown hair behind one ear. Just ignore Fritz. He's always been treated as less than his older brother, which was sad when he was young. He didn't have to turn out awful because of it, though. He had good friends and an uncle who loved him more than his parents ever did. But something changed in Fritz a few years ago. Now he seems intent on becoming the worst person alive just to prove he can. Revan said nothing when she finished speaking. Considering how intensely he stared at his scarf, he might not have noticed she was speaking at all. When he finally did respond, he kept his gaze on the blue fabric. I must repay you for this. I know rules are different here, but this is too great a gift. I must. He nodded to himself and finally looked at her. He didn't hold her gaze for long. Soon he glanced down and around at her clothes and hair and even her hands. After a moment, his head cocked to the side. What happened to that box you were holding earlier? Weren't you holding something when... His words stopped short when he glanced up at her face. Tears already stung at her eyes, but she could feel more coming too fast to stop. Hoping to distract him, she gestured across the room toward the pile of broken porcelain. At least I was able to repair one of the items Fritz destroyed tonight. She sniffed as she stared at the broken gift she had spent months preparing. The cup and saucer I painted are sadly beyond repair now. As she finished speaking, the tears she had tried to hold back rebelled against her. A few drops slipped from her eyes and slid down her cheeks. She went to wipe them away with the back of her hand, but Revan got there first. Using his newly repaired scarf, he caught the two tears just before they dropped off her chin. Her heart squeezed at what she assumed was a comforting gesture, but then she caught sight of Revan's eyes. They had opened so wide, his eyebrows nearly reached his hairline. Using one finger, he poked the wet spot on his scarf. I have never seen anyone cry before. I thought it was a myth. A myth? She sniffed the rest of her tears away. Who's never seen anyone cry before? He poked his scarf again, letting his finger linger on her tears. I come from... He didn't seem to realize he had trailed off. After another moment, he started again. I come from a very different land. Since he was so transfixed by her tears, she figured he wouldn't mind if she reached toward him. Her hand brushed over the light blue and brocade overcoat covering his chest. I wondered. I have never seen a uniform like this before. Before he could react to her touch, she tugged the scarf out of his hands and started arranging it onto his shoulders. After only a moment, she stood and took a step back with a gasp. You are as tall as your arms. She raked her gaze over his body, but it didn't give any of the answers she sought. How? Any other person might have brushed it off, but not her. She knew what she could see, and she knew what she felt when she placed the scarf back onto his shoulders. Her head shook as she tried to make sense of it. You are taller than you appear. At the sound of those words, his face turned as white as a sheet. He clamped a hand over the scarf that was now wrapped around his neck, and then he backed away into the crowd. She wouldn't let him get away so easily, not with such a mystery to unfold. But when she started to go after him, she found he had disappeared completely. 
Her fingers clenched into fists as she scanned the room. He couldn't have gotten away so fast without her seeing. She should have been able to find his head of brown hair somewhere, or glimpse his strange uniform at the very least. But there was nothing. It was as if he had disappeared completely. Her eyes narrowed, determined to keep looking. There was something curious about this mysterious stranger, something much bigger than she had originally realized. And no matter how difficult it might be, she was determined to find out what. Chapter 4 Clara meandered every corner and nook of the party, but failed to find Revan the whole rest of the night. As the string quartet's music grew lazier, the raucous laughter grew louder, and the platters of food emptied, she kept hoping for a tiny glimpse of him. A few different times, she was certain she had found him, but when she turned that way, she'd be faced with nothing. Her heart sank a little more each time it happened. With each hour that she failed to find him, a little part of her remembered it was also one hour closer to the wedding that would effectively end her life. Even opening presents hadn't cheered her like it usually did. Her parents had spent quite a bit more on her than usual that year, probably since, with her wedding the next day, they knew the neighbors would expect it. She'd received opulent gowns, strands of diamonds and pearls, even a tea set that had been painted by the finest artist in town. Fritz and his parents also gave her gifts far more wonderful than she expected. A fine trunk made by an expert craftsman stood out as the most expensive one. Yet none of it changed the personality of the young man she was doomed to marry. Fritz's only good qualities were ambition and cleverness, but he so often paired those with jealousy, selfishness, and greed that nothing good was left. At the end of the evening, she tucked herself into a ball on the plush chair closest to the fire. Luckily, she nodded off and didn't have to wait while all the guests departed. When her eyes finally fluttered open again, the guests that were staying for the night were already tucked into their rooms, and all the other guests had left. The dark room was a shadow of what it had been earlier. All the food and platters had been cleared off the tables, leaving them lifeless and empty. The large Christmas tree stood tall, but without the lit candles, it appeared more ominous than magnificent. Even the fire next to Clara's chair had died down to mere embers. She stretched and smoothed a few wrinkles from her pink silk gown, then trailed across the creaking wooden floorboards to see if the servants had accidentally left any food out. Only one table still held food, but it was nothing more substantial than a few snacks. Clara stood in front of the nut table, pulling a nutcracker close to her as she picked out a hazelnut with her other hand. But as she lifted the nutcracker, Something behind it caught the moonlight. Her hand trembled as she pulled the stark white object closer to her. Angling her body to allow more moonlight to spill over it, she let out a gasp. She held in her hands the cup and saucer she had spent months painting. The purple flowers and painted gold trim looked exactly as she remembered them. Even more remarkable, they were no longer broken. The damage Fritz had done when he threw them to the ground couldn't be seen at all. Pulling the cup closer to her face, she squinted while trying to look for a crack. Perhaps someone had glued the pieces together. Her mind immediately went to Revan. He had said he needed to repay her for her help with the scarf. 
He had even mentioned he could repair dishes. But this? This was miraculous. No matter how she squinted or angled it to catch more light, she couldn't find any evidence of the pieces breaking at all. Somehow, her nutcracker man had repaired the cup and saucer to their former pristine condition. She wanted to cry. She wanted to shout for joy. With all the sleeping people in the house, she decided she'd just have to keep the overwhelming gratitude inside her heart where it wouldn't disturb sleeping guests. So, she simply left the cup and saucer outside Heidi's door. It would have been better to leave them wrapped and with a tag. But even like this, surely Heidi would guess who they came from. After Clara set the cup and saucer outside her maid's bedroom door, she slowed her footsteps to admire the wintry world outside the large window before her. The moon shone bright in the sky, but it would be covered by clouds soon because it had started to snow. Big, fluffy snowflakes drifted down from the sky, layering over the icy, crusty snow that now covered the ground. The guests who had already traveled home would be grateful they wouldn't have to ride a carriage in such weather the next morning. A chill slithered down Clara's spine as she examined the landscape. Something about the trees near her house looked... different. That chill in her spine multiplied when she noticed movement, not among the branches or leaves of the tree, but on the trunk. For such an old and large tree, the trunk shouldn't have been moving at all. Just as she gulped, she noticed the same strange movement coming from the tree next to it. Her mind screamed at her to get away from the window, to rush into her room and hide under the covers. But she couldn't listen to her mind when her feet were frozen to the floor. Fear edged into her bones like ice, freezing away the last bit of warmth she'd gotten from falling asleep by the fire. Her thoughts turned to the other strange occurrence of that evening. How had Revan disappeared for the rest of the night? Perhaps he had something to do with this strange movement in the trees. Before she could consider that further, three other tree trunks began squirming and writhing. Her hand flew to her open mouth when she spied a distinct pair of eyes appear in the trunk of one of the trees. And then another pair of eyes appeared. She realized then that the eyes weren't in the tree like she had originally thought. Creatures of some sort had merely disguised themselves to look like the tree trunks. But now the creatures stepped away from the trees and pulled off their disguises. Another gasp wanted to pass through her lips, but her lungs had momentarily forgotten how to work. She couldn't gasp. She couldn't even breathe. She'd always been good at judging heights and sizes and distances. But for the first time, she questioned that ability. Because this, this couldn't be possible. Huge creatures moved away from the trees, each one at least nine feet tall. Their thick legs looked like architectural columns, unlike any human legs she had ever seen. And maybe it was just the moonlight, but they definitely appeared to have greenish skin. In fact, maybe it wasn't just greenish. Maybe it was actually green. The creatures each held an axe, which they swung so forcefully they probably could have chopped down a hundred-year-old tree in only three swings. When they opened their mouths, their teeth looked like rocks. And now that she looked closer... Did they have grass and moss for hair? Trolls. If she had to give the creatures a name, it would be trolls. 
Heidi once had a book that talked of mystical creatures like dryads, mermaids, fae, and trolls. Of all the descriptions Clara could remember, these matched the book Trolls nearly perfectly. Goosebumps ran across her skin. Her shoulders shuddered as she attempted a step backward. She managed a tiny step despite her fear, but then the largest troll, the one with granite-like skin, opened its mouth and roared. Her feet froze again as the creature jammed one of its huge fists into a large rosebush. When its fist reemerged, it clasped a man inside it. Clara sucked in a sharp inhale at the sight. Not just any man. Revan. The troll had Revan. His blue scarf waved behind him as he kicked against the troll's belly. Revan managed to free himself from the creature's grasp, but now all five of the trolls swung their axes toward him. He ran toward the trees. When his scarf unwrapped from around his neck, he didn't even turn. He just snatched the scarf from the air with one hand, without looking, and kept on running. But then one of the trolls struck out an enormous leg, which tripped Revan. The young man would have fallen flat on his face, except another troll plucked him from the air between its enormous rock-like finger and thumb. They were going to hurt him. Both of Clara's hands clapped against her cheeks as she realized, no, they weren't just going to hurt him. They were going to kill him. Her heart seized inside her chest. They couldn't. He had repaired the cup and saucer that Fritz had so spitefully destroyed. He had cracked hazelnuts for her and wiped away her tears. The urge to ignore all semblance of logic and go outside to help him burned strong in her chest. But then another thought came that twisted at her insides. Trolls didn't exist. No one could repair porcelain without at least a tiny crack still showing, no matter how expertly it had been glued. The Nutcracker Man did seem magical in a way, especially when he appeared shorter than he truly was. But perhaps that was just a strange trick of the light. Truth hit her as heavily as the weight of her impending marriage. This was a dream. It had to be. Nothing else could explain the sight of trolls in her yard. That meant the repaired cup and saucer weren't really repaired either. The thought sent a quake through her shoulders. Since this was a dream, there was no point in rushing to Revan's rescue. It wouldn't change the fact that she'd never again see him in real life. It wouldn't change the fact that her life was about to end. Revan produced an axe from his pocket, which only proved again that this had to be a dream. An axe that large never would have fit inside a pocket. He swung it at the nearest troll and managed to slice off a bit of the creature's grassy hair but he failed to make contact with the troll's neck. When the swing missed, one of the smaller trolls swiped an arm across Revan's chest, which slammed him against the ground. Even from inside the house, Clara could see that the wind had been knocked out of him. She tried not to care. She tried to remind herself that this was just a dream and that the true Revan was probably in a cozy bed, already asleep for the night. But then one of the trolls grabbed Revan by the ankle and yanked. Did the troll intend to rip his leg from its socket? A blood-curdling shriek erupted from Revan's mouth. With a knot in her chest, Clara lifted her skirts and ran for the front door. Dream or not, it didn't matter anymore. She couldn't stand by and watch such awful things happen to the young man who had been so kind to her. Besides, if it was a dream, 
she couldn't be injured anyway. An icy blast of wind froze on her skin as she threw the front doors open. As they slammed behind her and her boots hit the crusty snow at her feet, a new realization hit her. If this truly was a dream, she wouldn't have felt the cold. But she did feel it. Somehow, she wasn't dreaming at all. But if this was real life, that meant whatever danger she was about to face was utterly and completely real. I hope you enjoyed listening to part one of Nutcracker of Crystal Fall by K.L. Moody, narrated by Corinne Norton. If you enjoyed today's part of the story, be sure to stick around for the next four episodes to find out how Clara and Revan fare in Crystal Fall. If you want to read more by Kay, go to klmoody.com to find more of her books. Be sure to sign up for her newsletter where you can get a free copy of her novella, Heir of Bitter Thorn, which is one of the other stories I was going to ask her to share. It's just as excellent as this one. For November and December, we are running a holiday giveaway, which includes a signed hardcover copy of Flame and Crystal Thorns by K.L. Moody, as well as an art print and bookmark. So if you want a chance to win, go to findingfantasyreads.com giveaway to enter. The giveaway closes on December 15th. If you're enjoying listening to Finding Fantasy Reads, please consider leaving a review. Reviews help me know how to improve the show, whether it's to keep the things you like or get rid of the things you don't, and it helps new listeners find the podcast. A good review can often be the tipping point to get someone to listen or subscribe, which means I can keep making more new episodes for you. If you're not sure how to leave a review, check out today's show notes for some easy instructions. In addition to those instructions, I will have links for all the other sites mentioned. Thank you all for listening, and happy reading. Happy reading.